Welcome to Unedited, our fortnightly podcast where we explore the opportunities and challenges that the retail industry is facing. From fashion, beauty and homeware, myself, Grace Hill, will be chatting to leading experts in the industry to shed light on how retailers can create a brighter future. The past year has undeniably provided huge learnings for the retail industry, whether that's comfort dictating consumer spending, So the global sleepwear and loungewear markets are expected to produce an incremental $19.5 billion worth of growth from 2020 to 2024. But also this was a time where retailers were able to course correct and try new innovative ways of working, messaging and distributing their products with an ever increasing focus on direct consumer and omni-channel approaches across all segments. However, I'm sure many of you are bored as hell of that five-letter C word. And because of that, today, we want to think about what comes next. What do consumers and retailers have to look forward to? And how can we emerge stronger together? Today, we want to give insight to our listeners and retailers who are able to open stores or help those prepare who aren't quite there yet for what is to come. So on today's podcast, we have Avery Fagan and Venetia Fraser, fashion and retail analysts here at Edited. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. I'm very excited to have you on. And we've got great transatlantic representation here today. Avery, how, how are things in New York? Good. I really can't complain. I think that the city's been pretty open now for a while. So I'm just more excited than ever for the weather to get really nice and for people to get vaccinated and to just continue to enjoy the energy of the city. What are you able to do in New York at the moment? Is everything open? For the most part, we have, you know, retail stores are open. We're allowed to go to restaurants. I went out to one of my favorite ones last night, actually. But yeah, it's it's definitely at a limited capacity. But yeah, we're slowly getting there. Oh, so exciting. I know I feel like we all have so much to look forward to. Venetia, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm very jealous you've been out to a restaurant, Avery. That is on my plans for this weekend. And I can't wait. First time actually making plans this weekend. Aww. So where, where are you going, Venetia? Is, that, is it a favourite restaurant? Were you one of the organised people that actually booked somewhere before they all got booked up? <laughs> we did book the, a pub. So we are going to a pub uh, with some friends. So I'm really looking forward to doing that as well. I know. I feel like it's exciting that things are loosening up slowly here in the UK. And obviously in New York, things are a little ahead of us. But yeah, so much to look forward to in the future. So could you both tell us a little bit more about what it is that you do at Edited? Sure. So Venetia and I are both fashion and retail analysts. My focus is actually on the women's wear market in the US. I also touch on denim and bridal and Venetia. <laughs> so I also cover women's wear and men's wear. I kind of focus more on the mid and mature market. And I also cover our Copenhagen um, Fashion Week coverage as well. Amazing. So for anyone listening, these ladies are who you can thank for our fantastic retail reports, <laughs> which I know are a firm favorite amongst our customers. But I guess what I want to kick off with is obviously we've spoken about like restaurants opening and, and kind of what we have to look forward to. But with the end of the pandemic, hopefully, fingers crossed, being in sight, consumers and businesses alike are all looking forward to kind of normal life starting up again. So Whilst physical shopping was a popular activity pre-pandemic, 
will shopping destinations like Fifth Ave or Oxford Street, will they still be relevant once lockdown's lifted? And, and what does the future look like for these shopping destinations? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think they're going to stay relevant. I think we've all seen the recent images of the huge queues outside stores as they reopened, which is great to see. I think consumers are wanting to get back in store and they're excited. But I think long term, we are going to see a shift. There needs to be more of a reason for consumers to want to go back in store. Now, everyone's shopping at home and from the comfort of their sofas. We've said for a while it's about the in-store concept and the in-store experience, and I definitely think the pandemic has just accelerated this. And I do think these destinations and stores are starting to react to this. So London Oxford Street has actually partnered with Spotify to launch a shopping playlist to kind of enrich that physical shopping experience, which I think is a great example. And Selfridges as well, they've kind of partnered with SoulCycle to launch exercise classes outside. So, yeah, I definitely kind of think that's where the future is going for the high street in these shopping destinations. Yeah. And and just to expand on what Benicia said, I mean, like I mentioned before, you know, at least New York City is relatively open and I've seen lines out the door in Soho. I might have been one of those people in those lines um, because obviously there's limited capacity in stores, but people are still yearning to get out, even if they have to wait in the line. And I think also it's interesting to note stimulus checks. I think obviously people are, you know, saving them, they're spending them, but I think even with, you know, additional cash, I think some people are willing to maybe spend that on an experience and instead of just going online and purchasing something, um, you know, they're willing to go into a store more and maybe find, you know, that special something they want to purchase as opposed to just doing it like they have been for so long going online. So that's another reason that I think retailers can kind of leverage, you know, people going out more of the days getting longer and lighter and people just feeling energized to go back out. I'm extremely jealous of the stimulus check. (laughs) (laughs) People should be saving though, I should say. (laughs) I know if only Boris was allowing us to have a stimulus (laughs) check, I'm definitely, I think it would have been spent by now from my perspective. But no, I love what you were saying, both of you. There has to be a reason. And I think as well, that element of the novelty of stores opening back up is going to fade at some point, right? So it's like, okay, what is going to continue to keep them there? And I think that like Spotify and the SoulCycle initiatives are, are really interesting. But we know that Farfetch has finally unveiled its new Browns flagship store in London this month, which has obviously been waiting for things to open up, which they've dubbed their store of the future, which includes technology-driven approach like connected mirrors and AR virtual try-on tools, alongside kind of unique experiential elements for kind of that maximum customer engagement with restaurants and cafes. So what other ways do you think retailers can kind of get customers back consistently into store in the future? Yeah, I think it's really important to highlight that hygiene is still going to be really important for consumers. Just because we might soon be living in a post-pandemic world, I think that transparency around hygiene is going to be really important for retailers to you know, maintain loyal customers. Last year, in the beginning of the pandemic, we saw a lot of retailers be really transparent via email and social media on how they were doing curbside pickup and they were extending their return dates and just allowing customers to feel like they're 
sort of a part of the conversation and are aware of what's happening in the market. So to continue that transparency today is going to be really important. So obviously, you know, with mentioning the queues outside, um, you know, being limited capacities in stores, being able to have, you know, sanitizing stations throughout the stores, um, just giving customers a way to feel safe as they're shopping um, is going to be really important, which sounds really simple, but it might be the easiest way actually to get somebody to come in. And I was also reading something super interesting on Business of Fashion where Burberry actually has a social retail store in China, where they're actually leveraging WeChat mini program, bridging the gap between brick and mortar and digital, where consumers that use that app and they're either um, using it online or they're interacting in store with Burberry can actually gain social currency. And then they can use that social currency from the app and actually purchase food in the cafe in store. So it's a little bit of a way of combining the digital and the brick and mortar space to get customers back in store. I think QR codes are also an interesting strategy that we're kind of seeing cropping back up. And I think that a way that can help make the whole experience more seamless with in-store payments and returns and also just providing greater product information and transparency. You know, retailers can show their sustainability initiatives or styling tips. And I think it kind of goes a bit beyond the transaction there. And so I think that's a great tool as well. And then hosting in-store events and pop-ups, I think that's going to add to, we keep saying it, but the experience, you know, focusing on loyal customers and members has been a really big focus recently. And so I think offering exclusive invites and discounts to these customers will really show how much you value them and kind of maintain that loyalty and also create a sense of exclusivity. Definitely. I feel like that exclusivity element of getting them into store and again, being back to that reason. I know um, at work here at Edited on our team, there was a lot of hype about the House of Fraser promotion that they were offering this week for beauty, where if you signed up to their loyalty program, you got 50% off all of beauty bar, I think it was Dior and one other brand, but but you had to be in store, but 50% off is huge. And I mean, that's going to get me going there because otherwise I probably wouldn't have gone in there. So no, I think those are all really, really amazing initiatives. I'm really curious as well as to how much social currency you have to (laughs) accumulate to be able to get a meal in their cafe. (laughs) That'd be an interesting one to to figure (laughs) out. But I guess we've been saying for, for years, e-com shouldn't be left on the back burner. And obviously, according to McKinsey and Business of Fashion's year ahead report that was published at the end of 2020, they stated that e-com share of fashion sales nearly doubled from 16% to 29% globally, with retailers focusing on their digital channels. How should they approach their distribution strategy? And you know, how should brands work with third parties like your ASOSs, Zalandos and Farfetches of the world? Yeah, I think it's important to note that when you have, you know, full reign of your own business, you can really benchmark goals, you can align pricing strategies, you can figure out when you want to promote, when you want to discount. I think that that 
can be a little bit more difficult when you partner with a third party. You know, if ASOS or, you know, Macy's is putting a major promotion site-wide and your brand really doesn't, you know, align with that promotion at that time, maybe it can be a little bit more difficult to manage your goals. But with that being said, I think that also limits potential exposure to more people. So it's kind of that balance of figuring out maybe what products you want to feature in stores and just making sure you're aligning your business goals with the parties that you're partnering with. Another good example with ASOS is, you know, they actually are kind of stepping up and making sure that the retailers that they actually have on their site also align with their ethical manufacturing and sustainable practices. So, you know, I think it also from a third party side, they are also really cognizant of who they have on their site. And then just to obviously highlight the Black Lives Matter movement that really emerged last year. Retailers like Macy's and Bloomingdale's have really stepped up and joined the 15% pledge, making sure that they have 15% of their shelves stocked with Black-owned businesses. So that's a really great way for maybe smaller businesses or businesses that haven't had as wide of exposure can really leverage those third parties and get their names out there. I think in the UK as well, we're seeing like a lot of big retailers focusing on stocking third party brands to kind of diversify and and modernize their assortment. So John Lewis and Partners, they announced recently that they're planning to add 50 new fashion and beauty brands to their mix to kind of tap into and reflect the casualization trend. And Marks and Spencers has also expanded its brands at M&S, adding the likes of Sea Salt, Nobody's Child and Phase 8 to their offering. So I think, yeah, in the UK as well, it's really interesting to see retailers focusing on this. Definitely. And I feel like there's also been that huge kind of direct consumer push from luxury. I know on the last podcast, I was talking in depth with Carlo about it and kind of the impact that, you know, luxury brands have had through obviously selling through third parties like Farfetch and kind of, I guess, the lack of control that they potentially have over their pricing and discounting and and distribution. So yeah, no, I mean, lots to think about as to where you want to send your products and how does that impact your brand. But a topic that we've talked a lot about on the podcast was obviously loungewear being the biggest winner of the pandemic. You'd have have to have been living under a rock if you hadn't have heard that or heard that on this podcast. So obviously not to exhaust the topic any more than we already have. But my question for you guys is, is loungewear dead? I don't think we could say loungewear is dead. I just think maybe currently the focus is shifting. So consumers are looking forward to making plans. They're looking forward to getting dressed up and, you know, dusting the cobwebs off the jeans. So retailers also aren't really talking about it as much within email communications. We're seeing a bit of a decline here and that is reflecting, you know, lockdown easing. But I think in the long term, it's just become an ingrained part of our wardrobe. You know, I'm not going to get rid of loungewear anytime soon. I don't think consumers are wanting to give up comfort. So I think it's just more about retailers finding a fresh new angle for their future loungewear categories. We're also seeing, you know, new retailers continuously entering space. Lingerie brand Third Love, they expanded into the category just a few months ago. And it also is continuously cropping up on the runway. So I don't think loungewear is going anywhere. I just think currently it's been put on the back burner a little bit. Yeah. And I think it's also important to note that loungewear has kind of just become more of a 
basic now. So similar to how, you know, your core products don't ever really go away. I have a feeling that loungewear to an extent won't ever really go away. But with, you know, other product categories and other events kind of starting to become a little bit more important, I think we're seeing um, a transition of, you know, the loungewear aesthetic in party wear, in workwear. We're seeing elasticated waistbands. We're seeing oversized button-down shirts. We're seeing a more sort of casualization of, of products. So you can still get that comfort while also going to work or, uh, you know, going to a wedding even or just an event that um, you want to get a little dress up for, but you don't want to sacrifice comfort. So retailers will obviously probably be talking about this for forever. <laughs> yes, I, I think they will be. I love what you're saying about kind of just the casualization generally. And I think it's that like, we've almost like normalized comfort and made it okay. And like the fact that I would actually not think twice about rocking up to the office in a pair of leggings or, you know, it's almost like the styling of loungewear is yeah kind of come on leaps and bounds that you feel like you could wear it wherever and I wouldn't feel like oh my gosh I can't believe I've just left the house looking like this you know which we may have done a year or two ago but I am yes I am very excited about a resurgence of of denim especially being an ex-denim buyer it's exciting to not just wear leggings constantly So obviously you guys have just mentioned the evolution of the loungewear category and and how you see that moving forward. But what are the next big trends coming out of coronavirus? And are there any that we can anticipate from the full 2021 runway shows that could be a big hit and major opportunity for our customers? Yeah, I would definitely say that optimism oozed out of the fall 2021 runway shows. I think it's, you can't really think about, you know, the future of 2021 without thinking of potential lockdowns lifting and uh, celebrations starting to happen and people just getting really optimistic and positive about kind of getting their lives back to normal. We actually noted that starting in January, the interest for loungewear was obviously higher than dresses. But when Boris Johnson actually announced the roadmap to lockdowns lifting, I believe it was February 22nd, we actually noticed that there was a decline in interest in loungewear and actually an uptick in interest in dresses. So, you know, we're actually seeing consumers start to already kind of be optimistic about the future. And along with that, you know, from the runway, obviously, we saw kind of a maximalism aesthetic coming out with, you know, bright colors, you know, structured shoulders, the puff sleeves still being a major trend, continuing from, you know, previous seasons. Definitely, you know, sweater vests have been really huge across men's and women's wear, feeding into sort of the preppy aesthetic, also workwear vibes, as well as sort of an athleisure spin. That's a a hero piece um, for a lot of preppy collections. But we're also really nostalgic and sentimental for sort of, for lack of better words, you know, those better times when we were, you know, just happy and, you know, the 60s and 70s and disco era and, you know, the bootleg and wide, wide leg cuts for men's and women's. And even, you know, like I said before, you know, the bright colors, I think sort of the antithesis of the neutral loungewear, you know, I think people are really excited to kind of step out and show out. And I think also sort of on a more product level, 
you know, basis, you know, Bermuda shorts, a little bit more of the casual look for women's wear, especially, and even, you know, the mini skirt and the midi length is really important right now for uh, women's wear. Men's wear, we're sort of seeing a more varsity inspired, you know, bomber jackets, cargo trousers. So definitely... I think it's important to to talk about, you know, the party wear element, but also sort of the nostalgia that we're definitely going to see more retailers get into this season. So, yeah, I think Avery just summed that up really well. Uh, Just to echo her point on nostalgia, you know, this was a massive driving force throughout the pandemic, you know, as consumers sought a sense of escapism. And it's just the theme that we just keep seeing returning to the runway time and time again. And 70s is particularly gaining momentum for the menswear market and was a standout theme on the recent fall 2020 catwalk. So I think like button down shirting and coach jackets are going to be really strong commercial trends here for next season. I love the 70s, 60s kind of re-emerging. I'm like a huge disco. <laughs> Sister Sledge is my favorite, which many of my friends roll their eyes at. But yeah, I mean, just the color and like the yellows and browns even together, I think are such an interesting combination in those like big florals. But were there any designers in particular that you guys saw that you like, the shows really resonated with you and that you loved? Yeah. I mean, I, I really loved Balmain. I think obviously he's a standout favorite among many people, but I think just the use of color was really, really fun. And I mean, the show was amazing with, you know, the airplane in the background and kind of building on sort of a utility vibe. It just seemed like a really unique show. Um, You know, the neon greens and the bright pinks just added a lot of fun and, for me, like that was just really playful and I really enjoyed that one. So Avery, you mentioned obviously once Boris Johnson announced the roadmap for the UK that we started to see indications of certain categories like dresses starting to see an uptick, which is really exciting, having struggled for a lot of the pandemic. Are there any product sellouts in countries with advanced vaccination programs which are showing or demonstrating that there's signs of specific trends that we need to be looking out for? And, you know, how do you see consumers embracing bright color and print? Sure. So we're definitely still investigating that. And that's such an interesting way to look at the market. But we can definitively say that greens and yellows have really kind of been the standout colors. And I think it's, you know, more of the shades and the spectrum, especially for greens. In women's wear, particularly, we've been seeing retailers pushing anywhere from like soft pastel shades to bright, bright greens, you know, especially looking at the segmented markets. So for, you know, mini mature market, we're really seeing a lot of bright greens coming out, mm-hmm. um, more loungewear and sort of soft core, casual collections. We're seeing a lot more of the pastel shades, even in activewear. We're seeing a little bit more of the sages. We're seeing a lot of influencers rocking sage, mm-hmm. um, head to toe looks. So we're definitely seeing greens sort of everywhere in the market from age demographic to sort of the product categories and the, the themes that those products feed into. But we're also seeing yellows be really, really dominant in the menswear space. Definitely bolstered by the Pantone colors of the year. Obviously, one is gray and one is yellow. We're seeing the menswear market really push yellows across kind of sportswear aesthetics, also outdoor wear with, you know, talking about technical fabrics and obviously being in the outdoors and being one with nature. Um, There's also greens in there as well, but the contrast of the bright yellow is kind of a fun pop. So those colors have really been standing out across men's and women's wear. I feel like, yeah. 
color is going to play such a prominent role in the coming year. I remember when we had Nell Diamond on from Hill House Home and she was talking about how excited she was about color and for the nap dress, which is like typically being very like neutral and soft colored. And I think it flows very nicely into the idea of happy dressing. We've heard that phrase, you know, thrown around. So can you guys explain what trends are a part of this new look and what retailers can do to tap into it? Yeah. So happy dressing or dopamine dressing, as we've also seen it, (laughs) definitely a trend that is, you know, huge in the market right now. But I'd say that idea actually first emerged at the beginning of the pandemic, where retailers used the bright colours and prints that they already had in their assortment to kind of lift spirits and spread a bit of joy during the uncertain period. And I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier. People are excited. People are positive about the future. And clothing is just our way to express that. So I think it is a really fun and also easy trend that retailers can tap into without, you know, having to overcommit. I think styling is key here. So clashing colors, clashing prints, don't don't be afraid there. And also playful jewelry and accessories are another easy way to tap into the trend in slightly more subtle way, perhaps. We're kind of seeing a lot of nostalgic and playful, chunky resin rings at the moment in the market. I think it's about just having fun with your communications and your outfits. You know, consumers are looking forward to outfit planning again, and it's providing this inspiration. Yeah, I just want to add that I might be wearing all black today, mostly probably because I'm a New Yorker, but even I'm like excited to do that again. I think, you know, it's funny that New Yorkers get kind of that stereotype of like head to toe all black, but I definitely think that even walking around the city, I'm just kind of seeing everyone really happy and vibrant. So it's a nice, it's a nice change. It's so funny you mentioned the New York stereotype of wearing all black because I was actually talking to my friend the other day who's from New York and she was, we were talking about colour and this specific dress. I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited to wear bright colour. And she's like, yeah, but I'm a New Yorker. So I think I'm going to go with like the white or the black. <laughs> yeah, we, we tend to stick to core colours. Um, yeah. I think post-pandemic, people are starting to get excited to like be like, oh my God, what is this other colour I can wear? So the retailers should definitely back the, the dopamine that's exciting so obviously the pandemic I hate to say killed off but it really did dampen categories like party wear and suiting for work wear because obviously all of us were still at home but it seems like everyone including myself are really excited about going out to events again whether that's weddings festivals parties especially with specific open dates for many countries and states What are we seeing now in party and occasion wear? And like, are people going to go to that kind of maximalist look? And do you think they're going to embrace formality? I think from a women's wear perspective, sexy is definitely back. I think people are excited to kind of like look good, feel good. We saw back in October, like Kim Kardashian and Beyonce sort of sporting that, you know, exposed thong backless dress and scandalous, <laughs> but also people were like, oh my God, I want to look that good and feel that good. And, and we're seeing on the runway, especially um, in spring 2021 and fall 2021, details like cutouts are huge. Open backs definitely are still a thing, you know, even in trousers with little side slits. It's something super simple, but adds a little bit of sexiness. And I think also we're seeing them, you know, 
those types of details across US and UK retailers, especially with it getting a little bit warmer out and retailers dropping, you know, more warmer weather collections, you know, the crop tops, the bralettes, all of that, you know, sexy dressing will definitely be something that I think consumers are really going to be interested in. Yeah, I think for menswear also, I do think traditional suiting is going to make a return when these special occasions such as weddings and just formal events return to normal. I think also with there now being less of a focus on suiting within workwear, and I think with these events being cancelled and postponed for so long, consumers are going to want to make an effort here and spend a bit more. So I think a big focus will be on quality and timeless design here. Consumers are increasingly wanting their clothes to last longer, work for multiple occasions. So I think focusing on these factors will kind of help justify these higher price points as well. Yeah, that makes total sense, doesn't it? Like if you're if you're going to be probably wearing a suit or to fewer occasions, you want to invest in quality and something that's going to last and I guess ties nicely to the sustainability message and what we know that consumers are looking for from that. But yeah, I I actually am really excited about this whole like sexy dressing trend. Like honestly, t- said that a year ago, I'd have been like, absolutely not. Do I want to wear a mini skirt? But I actually don't know what it is, but I feel, yeah. I want to get the legs out, um, which is exciting. But which themes should retailers be investing in and merchandising? And are there any categories that you think are going to see a resurgence? I would obviously mention nostalgia again. That was, you know, very prominent for the uh, fall 2020 runway, but uh, across men's and women's wear. I think that the 60s and 70s were really, really dominating this season. To go back to spring 2021, we did see an interest in, you know, the Y2K, the more, you know, 2000s era of, you know, denim, tonal dressing, neons. And now for fall, we're definitely seeing a little bit more of a transition into, you know, psychic delic patterns, you know, the neons again, but sort of the juxtaposition of, as you mentioned before, the yellows and the browns. And I think that, you know, the, the boot cut leg also is a nice way of transitioning people out of loungewear and into a little bit more of like appropriate outdoor wear, if you will, you know, getting people outside, but also still, still feeling trendy and also feeling comfortable. So I would definitely say that, you know, the 60s and 70s have been important for retailers to really investigate, but also just preppy. I think, you know, with, you know, the reboot of Gossip Girl and other really trendy uh, and viral collegiate TV shows, I think people are kind of nostalgic for their own college and high school experiences. And so, you know, as I mentioned before, the sweater vests for men's and women's wear are really important here. They're sort of like the hero piece. But for women's wear, I definitely say, you know, the pleated mini skirts too are something to look into. And for men's wear, sort of the the varsity graphics and the rugby stripes and those collegiate colors will be really important to get into. And obviously, you know, for the fall season, we really want to see these things land a little bit ahead of, you know, going back to school too. So landing that stuff kind of in Q3 will be important, you know, to eliminate any sort of competition um, and to really push full price sales will be a key message for retailers. Also, it's important to note footwear because I do think that 
most people are kind of transitioning out of their slippers these days, but one of my favorite styles is like the Mary Jane style. And we're actually seeing a 32% increase in majority SKU sellouts across US and UK retailers, which is really, you know, optimistic for retailers, especially ones that sort of are the pure play footwear brands to get back into those kind of old school trends again. And just to you know, show that consumers are actually really interested in in taking off those slippers and getting into something a little bit more formal. Yeah, I feel like everyone's sick of sick of their <laughs> sick of their house shoes and want to yeah. get get into something a little bit more fun. Also, another topic that we want to discuss is obviously international travel, and we know whilst that is still up in the air, I wanted to get your guys' opinion on whether retailers should kind of make holiday and vacation stories a priority to promote at this time? Yeah, I think the rollout of the vaccine is obviously bringing optimism and fingers crossed for holidays abroad, but it's such a fluid situation. So I think retailers just really need to remain agile and just stay on top of the latest restrictions and respond accordingly. I think 2020 was obviously the year of the staycation. And there's also evidence that there's even higher demand this year. Mm -hmm. So I think staycation stories are a safer way to promote your high summer lines. Swim is also going to be such an important category still. And there are opportunities beyond the beach. We are seeing retailers repositioning it to highlight other ways it can be worn and promoted alongside layering pieces. So the backyard bathing, barbecues, local lakes, these are all themes that we're seeing. So I think it's about retailers being versatile and showing how their high summer lines can work for multiple occasions. Yeah. And another theme that retailers have sort of gotten into towards, you know, the end of summer last year when some restrictions were kind of lifting is focusing sort of on the outdoor activities. I think it's important to highlight, you know, still the social distance practices and still being cognizant of, you know, restrictions internationally, but, you know, promoting maybe some outdoor wear, active wear. If you have any interesting technical fabrics you can push, you know, the water resistant fabrics, but also uh, we've done a, a bit of research on, you know, antibacterial active wear. And if you have anything interesting that um, you can push there, I would definitely say you can wrap it into an active outdoor story. But also there are some festivals and some things sort of lifting this year where um, maybe a younger generation will tap into, you know, the tie-dyed products, the crop tops, you know, the fun colored sunglasses, you know, festivals might not necessarily be happening everywhere, but for the locations that they are, you could potentially promote your products for those types of things. But also those products work sort of just all year round. So you can definitely reposition them if you've bought into styles that were specific Typically, you know, to focus on festival wear, but that really, you know, doesn't relate anymore. You can just sort of inject those products into, you know, other other themes like workwear or loungewear. I feel like retail were extremely creative last year, right? When like Coachella and all those big festivals in 2020 were cancelled and like repositioning and repurposing the tie-dye products that they had like packed in their loungewear assortments and kind of, I guess, the happy dressing element, which you said, Venetia, you know, isn't a recent thing that happened kind of last year too. But I have to ask, have either of you guys got any fun staycation plans organised? Not yet, to be determined. We haven't (laughs) booked anything yet, but we are hopeful. We are hopeful of potentially going abroad later on in the year. But again, we are being a bit cautious at the moment. 
Yeah. How about yourself, Avery? I'm hopefully booking something, but I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. But towards the end of the summer, I would love to be able to go abroad, but definitely not booking anything just yet. But excited at the opportunity and the thought of potentially, you know, being on a beach and whether I'm by myself or with my friends, I think we all have communication. <laughs> we definitely do. So in the past year, communications by retailers have really been put under the microscope. Some work great speaking to their customers and others came off as tone deaf. So what are your guys' advice on post-COVID messaging? Yeah, I think it's about retailers just being truly authentic and transparent. So as you say, lots of retailers have used their communications to make pledges and voice their support for important issues since the pandemic. So it can't be a tick box exercise. Retailers need to be transparent about the steps and the progress they're making towards achieving these goals and kind of keeping customers in the loop about this. I think that will be really well received. I also think we're seeing conversations grow and open up about mental health and well-being since the pandemic. And I definitely think this is going to continue, which is great. I think financial well-being is a conversation that is going to grow. You know, in the news, there's been a lot about regulation of buy now, pay later products. And ASOS is actually the first retailer to commit to the regulate buy now, pay later campaign, which launched in June last year. So I think it will be really interesting to see how this conversation develops and how retailers get involved. I don't think retailers should necessarily wait until regulation is in place to act. I think, you know, showing that they're responsible and um, committing now will be well received. Amazing. I think, yeah, I think it's really exciting that ASOS is backing such an important message. And I agree. I feel like that financial well-being is something which is feels new and feels fresh, but also really relevant. I think a lot of people have had time over the past year to like really take stock and think about, okay, what do they, you know, what do they want to do with their finances and how do you best manage that? Because it can be a very overwhelming topic and subject area. But ladies, thank you so much. I guess we always ask our guests this, but want to put it to you. What is the one thing that you would love our listeners to take away from this episode? So retailers are excited about the future and are excited about the products that they're actually going to be putting out this year and are hopeful that consumers will be just excited about them as well. Yeah, I think Avery's just summed out really well. You know, we're feeling positive and this is being reflected in the market. And so it's great to see everything opening back up again and hopefully it's long term oh amazing well ladies thank you so much that was so interesting I cannot wait to hopefully see you both soon in in person maybe wearing head to toe yellow (laughs) and embracing the happy dressing trend but yeah thank you so much for joining me today thank you for having us As a listener of ours, we're here to support you throughout 2021. If you're a customer of Edited, please contact your dedicated account manager and retail strategist, and they'll do everything they can to support you. For all of our listeners, make sure that you're subscribed to our insider briefing. You can sign up at edited.com, where we'll be keeping you updated on all the latest news and strategies. And if you've enjoyed today's episode and conversation with Venetia and Avery, please make sure you subscribe to keep in the loop with our future episodes. And please tell your friends and family about us. And if you have any further questions, you can get in contact at unedited at edited.com or give us a tweet at edited underscore HQ. Goodbye. And thanks so much for listening. <laughs>